Coming up on the podcast, we have a very, very special Socceroos Centenary Edition. I will be joined by FPF writers Matt Olsen and Cody Ajada. Matt, we might consider him the unofficial FPF Socceroos historian. I guess you're going to find out in this pod, but uh, let's just say the man knows his stuff when it comes to the Socceroos. To be honest, me and Cody were uh, me and Cody were kind of spectators in this podcast, but look, we had our moments. We are joined by a very, very special guest who I'm not going to reveal in this intro. You're going to find out very shortly, but let's just say this man knows one or two things about the history of Australian football as well. Yeah, read a couple of books on it in the process of writing one now as well. And yeah, the podcast is it. I have to say we're we're back. It's been almost a week, I think, since we've uh, since we've uploaded the podcast. We've been doing two a week for the last few weeks, and uh, yeah, I guess uh, I guess we're back. But um, yeah, it's gonna be I reckon it's gonna be tricky to keep up with two podcasts a week heading into obviously this off season with the with the A leagues and still a bit of time, of course, till till the Socceroos World Cup. So I'm gonna throw it to you guys. If you're listening to this podcast, if you've got a few podcast ideas, then hit us up. Head to our website, www.frontpagefootball.net. You can hit the Contact Us section, send us an email through there, send through a submission, your ideas, and uh, we'll take it on board and see what we can do. In the meantime, sit back and enjoy a little bit of a listen about the Socceroos history. I'm your host, Christian Marchetti, and we'll be back right after this. Okay, so we're taping this podcast at about 9.20 Australian Eastern Standard Time. It's a Thursday night and we are about six days removed since the Socceroos centenary, a hundred year anniversary of the national team. And uh, what a week it was too. We had the hundred year anniversary, the Socceroos qualifying for the World Cup too. Just a just a crazy week really for, for the national team. And tonight I am joined by FPF writers, Matt Olson and Cody Ajada. And we do have a special guest on the podcast tonight. He is the co-author of the Encyclopedia of Socceroos. And I believe he will have a special centenary edition out this November as well on the Encyclopedia of Socceroos. And it is Australian football's, I saw this before actually, and I think you might agree with this title, official, unofficial statistician, Andrew Howe. Andrew. How are you, Matt? Hey, Christian. Thanks um, for the welcome there. Really good, really good, good to um, to be on board with you and, and Matt and, and Cody tonight. All right, so um, let's let's get straight into it. We're going to kind of, and that's why we brought Andrew in onto the pod. We're going to kind of nerd out a little bit on the Socceroos history and and go really into um, some of the key moments, some of the key eras of the Socceroos dating back to, to the 20s, to the 50s, the 60s, 70s, and, and all these different important eras of the national team. So we'll start off, talk a little bit about um, Australia's first ever team. So it was a team coached by Alf Morgan, captained by Alex Gibb. And one thing that struck me about this team, which is interesting reading up about it, was it was solely 
I believe. And again, Andrew, you can you can um, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but solely made up of players from the New South Wales and Queensland, which was j- just interesting, you know, um, to think of that like that. That's, you know, these other states were, I guess, didn't have any players that came from it. And now when we look at our national team, it is far more um, diverse in terms of um, different clubs producing players from all over um, all over the country in different states as well. So interesting three off about that. And then interesting as well to see that the, the strip as well was a light blue strip. They had maroon hoops on the socks as well. So very much um, a New South Wales, Queensland vibe, despite it being an Australian national team. Yeah. Yeah, with with the makeup of the team now, there are um, uh, more experts around than me that um, can talk about the the, the makeup of the team and how that tour uh, happened in 1922. Um, there's a, a great book that's just been um, published by Fair Play Publishing. I've got it in my hand now. Burning Ambition: A Centenary, a centenary of Australia New Zealand Football Ashes. And yeah, there's a good um, really good history about that 1922. Just a pioneering team. There, Christian. Um, yeah, New South Wales and Queensland-based players. Now, that's not to say there weren't good enough players in other states. Um, but yeah, I think it was a bit more of a logistical thing. Uh, but the thing was, the um, the Commonwealth Football Association, Australia's governing body at the time, did endorse that in their um, 1923 annual report as a an official Australian team. And it was actually a very close vote. They, you know, these whoever they were, um, got together and, and had a vote. A vote. Do we? Do we call this team Australia or do we call it New South Wales, Queensland combined? It was a, a vote one by just one uh, vote in the end. So, yeah, that's the formation of the team. Um, there were several games in that tour. So we celebrate the um, first A International, centenary of the first A International match on the 17th of June. Uh, however, the, the team did actually start playing a couple of weeks before against New Zealand provincial sides. Uh, and all up there was, I've just got to, got to get to the database already. I didn't think I'd come to the <laughs> database so, so quickly because I don't remember this shit nowadays, or this wonderful information nowadays in my head. Um, 14 games of that tour, three of them against the New Zealand national side for, um, uh, well, we, we, we didn't win any of those games. We, uh, we lost two and, and, and drew one, the Australians. Um, yeah, as I say, pioneering times. And it's a really good um, celebrations have kicked off in terms of the, the governing body here. Um, there's a, the 100 Years of the Socceroos um, hub on their website. There's um, some friendlies being organised later in the year against um, against New Zealand. Um, a wonderful, talking about books, I've, I just like to promote the books. There's, there's, there's another book called The Socceroos, 100 Years of Com- Camaraderie and Courage, which has been... Um, published through ff uh, fa yep um matt's Matt just held his his version up as well. <laughs> yeah and that's a um that's a different style book that's a that's a sort of a more of a pictorial thing yeah, yeah. Book. um whereas you know hardcores like myself and perhaps matt are really into their history and then you know would um the words and that sort of thing as well so there are other books coming out and have come out already um celebrating the um the centenary in terms of that more information-based volumes. So one thing that I just wanted to point out about 22 in particular was I remember when we played Norway 
must have been late late 2017, just before the Russian World Cup, ignoring the fact that we got thrashed. It was the, the game in Oslo was the northernmost um, in the world that the Socceroos had ever played. And am I right in saying that that game in Dunedin in 22, still to this day, Very remains good. the southernmost fixture that we've ever had? So <laughs> awesome. that's actually yeah. really fascinating. Oh, I love that stuff. Yep, yep. If you yeah. start, I mean, that, my my love is, you know, the, the, the football stats, history, but also of, of anything to do with geography. So once you start yes. spinning those stats back at me, <laughs> impressed. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yep. And um, yeah, now you've got me thinking like, Oh, don't start me like in terms of the northernmost born born socceroos and and um, that kind of thing. The, yeah, southern, yeah. the southernmost born socceroos. Yeah, yeah. Now there's three three Hobart born socceroos. They were the, the three most southern, and the fourth most southern born soccer was Nathan Atkinson, born in Launceston. That's right. Yes. Um, yeah. And the northern most northern born soccero. Uh, forgotten, but um, um, Martin Boyle comes close because he was born in. Yes. In Scotland, yeah, yeah. In oh, Aberdeen, I was say, Aberdeen. Um, a lot of Scots, Scottish born yeah, well, players, yeah. but Aberdeen, um, or oh, Edinburgh, yeah, 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 one of yeah. those places. Because obviously, not to mention that a lot of these early socceroos in that era, um, you know, a lot of them were obviously foreign born. Um, so the immigration, I mean, it, it's it's been with us literally our entire history. That's not to say that everyone that played was a you know true blue white Australian back in the day. I mean. Particularly um, the uh, particularly the Scottish the Scottish yeah. side, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Alex Gibb himself was Irish. Yeah, born in Ireland, but to Scottish parents. His mm. father was oh. a um, worked in the uh, the the um, um, the, the navy um, armed forces or whatever they were called back then. Mm. And yeah, travelled a lot. He moved. Um, his dad moved to the US soon after. Um, Alex. Um, oh. When Alex was was living in Australia, yeah. So um, yeah, Irish born, uh, Scottish guy, yeah. Alex Gibb, who technically wasn't our first captain. He was our first captain in a international game. Um, mm. those club games I talk about, or provincial side games, or the Sydney player. This is this is um, why we Alan need Fisher. this is why we need Andrew here. He's got the little nuances <laughs> that that I haven't that I haven't checked out. <laughs> yeah, just throwing some stuff out there to be a smartass, really. But um, yeah, so um. Yeah, and even that's an interesting story in itself. How this 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 Sydney-based player Alan Fisher, who's who was a lot younger than Alex Gibb, um, just couldn't quite handle the the, the pace and the responsibility. And four games into that tour, um, got transferred to to Alex Gibb, the captaincy. And then yeah, since then Alex Gibb has been the more recognised name in terms of being that you know, almost father figure or father of of, of the Socceroos. Um, yeah, he's an old guy too. Alex Gibb was 34 on that tour. Um, hmm. I used to think he was the first born Socceroo, but in a lot of research I've done lately, um, no, he's, he's about the fifth. What did I say before? I thought you used to think he was the first born Socceroo. Yeah, he's about the fourth or fifth born Socceroo. Is that with regards to players that would have played in the A internationals, or would that be the players that played unofficially prior to that? Good question. Yeah, yep. So, mm. Yeah, okay, that's another distinction here. I'll try not to too much. But yeah, look, we when we hear about the cap numbers, okay? So yeah. the cap well, numbers was 622 Kai rolls. Now yes. there are another 325 players who have played for Australia in non-A international games. So a lot of high profile games, especially back in the 30s and 40s, against high profile opposition such as an English FA team um 
or even high-profile club teams in the 60s and 70s. Now, am I, um, um, Andrew, am I correct in saying that your new edition of the Encyclopedia Socceroos is going gonna, is gonna to include these 325 players? Yep, yep, yep. So the yeah. Yeah, Encyclopedia of Socceroos, where I'm the, the sole author of that. So I'm a co-author of the Encyclopedia of Matildas. The Socceroos one is, is just my baby though, yeah. So four yeah. years ago. So I assume, Andrew... I'm assuming, Andrew, this mostly includes certainly wartime games that would have been played, but also when when teams came to tour back in the day, um, we were mostly playing Commonwealth nations, right? And they would mostly play against state-based teams, um, but then they'd also play against an Australian eleven that just didn't count towards the history of the Socceroos, right? Though, yeah, in, in terms of those A internationals. So what, what I'm yeah, sort yeah. of promoting, I guess, with the, the new book, with the addition of the extra 300 players is players who can say they played for Australia in, you know, official well, games that, you know, had, hmm. you know, two lots, two times 40 five minute halves in front of some very big crowds at times um, in, in front of some very, against some very high profile players that didn't have that a international status. So hmm. what, um, yeah. So there's another, as I say, 325 players there some really fascinating histories uh, backgrounds to some of these players that will come out in the second edition of the encyclopedia of socceroos so i'll have a breath in a minute um four years ago the encyclopedia of socceroos first uh, edition came out biographies of all a international players around 600 the centenary edition of the encyclopedia coming out later this year through fair play publishing will have all the a and non-A players, 950 of them, a biography for each one of those players. That's just geez. a good question. <laughs> yeah. um, of those players, those 300 roughly players of, that didn't make their A international debut, but did play for, did represent their country, was there anyone maybe of note that represented Australia technically on multiple occasions, but just for the simple fact they weren't in an A international, aren't getting that recognition that probably they deserve to. Anyone's exactly. probably that worthy. A lot of them, yep, yep. So I think, um, I can't remember the number, but there's a couple of players who played up to 20 games for Australia, but none of those games were A internationals. So yeah, those, those poor dudes haven't, you know, haven't got an official cap number. Um, it's just the way that that goes, but yeah, as I say, being recognised a, a bit more now. Um, the latest such player, oh, Kaz Patafta. Some people might remember that name. Um, he played for the Socceroos in a warm-up game just before the 2006 World Cup. He was a very young player selected in the um, provisional squad for the 06 World Cup. Australia played a club game against... Um, uh, uh, I forget how you... I think it's pronounced, from... Um, from the Netherlands and look that was you know in my mind an official sort of game because it you know it was a, it was a, a plane under match conditions two time 40 minute halves you know proper substitute rules and all that thing that the, the team wanted to sort of replicate a, a full team as much as possible given the the big games were coming up but it just wasn't an A international so Kasper Tafta played in that game he has represented Australia but he hasn't got a cap because it wasn't in an mm. A international game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, did we, uh, around that time, I know we were based in Liechtenstein or somewhere like that. Yeah, that, um, the game was in, in that time. Were we, were we playing any other sort of friendlies at the, at the time? 
I'm, I'm yeah. just trying to I'm just trying to think. Were there any players who would have made their debut around that time, but then not actually been in in what was considered the golden generation team? I'm I'm just I'm trying to think of some names that would have been. I mean, Mark Milligan would have Mark been Milligan. really good at the time. Mm. Yeah. yeah, he was in the squad. Yeah. That didn't actually play. Um, Ante Kovic and guys like that. Oh, I, I find one. their path really fascinating because they probably would have been. I know I've just sort of jumped a hundred years into the future just to go past. <laughs> I just wanted to mention it because those those guys would have been really really unlucky not to have actually played for the Socceroos or at least earned more caps. Um, and I just I find that so fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, it's just the nature of of you know squad selections and that isn't it that, yeah. that, that um players will get close and um some players will make squads but not actually play games so my stats are basically if you've got to appear on the field to get a stat so um, yeah, yeah, yeah. really interesting because i've since the, the encyclopedia come out I've, you know we've had oh my dad played for australia blah blah he played in 1952 or something and then you realize <laughs> well he, he may have been in a squad or something but you know didn't didn't take the field and you know it's I don't want it to detract too much, but that's yeah. Again, it's that's that's how it goes. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, Cody, did uh, did you did you manage to uh, to dig in on the uh, on the nineteen twenties Socceroos? Um, a little bit. Yeah. They um not as much as what um Andrew and Matt do. Um, listening to that was a little bit mesmerizing, actually. But... Yeah. Um, full credit to you. Um, no, I'm... I don't think I don't think Andrew. I don't think you need to write the encyclopedia of Socceroos because you, you're basically the walking encyclopedia of yeah. Socceroos. <laughs> I've got to have my database nearby though. Yeah, <laughs> Cody. Yeah. Oh, but um, I think it is. It's a very very interesting journey, and like considering obviously I've been following this game all my life, and the fact that I didn't know a lot of these things. I do think that's it's something it's these are stories that a lot more football fans should know and be aware of. I think once that encyclopedia comes out, I'm definitely going to get my hands on the centenary one. I really want to hear the more or less stories, especially about those players that didn't make their A international debut but still represented their country on so many occasions. But, um, yeah, it's such an interesting path to how soccer is kind of formed and began, and it's definitely something that should probably be more common knowledge in my opinion i'm disappointed yeah. in myself that i don't know much about uh, it. it's mm. it's take it's a like take me you know, it's a shitload of years that i've had to research to try to find this information myself so if i don't know this it's like well how are you guys supposed to know this about you know we've, we've had players born in 45 46 different countries we've had players that have represented up to 30 other countries represented 30 other countries yeah. um yeah a lot of this i've only uncovered in the last year since i've um you know been researching more for the the the, the second edition of this encyclopedia it's um yeah it's hard information to find we've we haven't been good at recording this history in the past uh and um yeah i mean and and what i'm hoping as well and, and you know, it, was, it was a big part of the my introduction to the, the first volume i mean what i've got is essentially an average of 200 words for each player. It's, it's not much really, but what I'm hoping is that, you know, if, if I can spike a bit of interest um, by, you know, having this checklist of players for others to research, to others to look at the, the, these stories. I mean, I've just got, haven't got the room to talk about, you know, the, the, the Socceroo who died age 21 in, in the Second World War or the Socceroo who um, was a founding member of the Israeli 
the first Israeli Air Force after the Second World War. Um, the Socceroo, who was born in Burma, um, uh, learnt football playing in the Himalayas, represented Burma at the 1954 uh, Asian Games. There's some amazing, amazing stories about these players, and I'm hoping... Um, yeah, yeah. Others can. Um, it's it. Uh, it does seem to be. It does seem to be a common denominator for because even today, I mean, you look at the stories of some of the soccerers are in the current squad. You, you know, there's. It does seem to be a common denominator throughout history that soccerers players just seem to have always had these unique stories, unique pathways. You know, special upbringings, all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. 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 And it's interesting over time because I've I've also got interest in in well. Australia's demographic history. Um, you know, currently, three out of 10 Australians were born overseas. That's a percentage that's risen or a proportion that's risen pretty substantially since the 70s. But back in the early part of the century, it was a lot higher. It was up to three or almost a quarter of Australians. So if you look at that, if you think of a chart of, you know, the proportion of Australians born overseas, it started highest in the early part of the 1900s, got pretty low in the 1940s was the, was the, the lowest point, one in 10 Australians born overseas and sort of has risen since. If you look at the makeup of the Socceroos in terms of where they were born over those years, you, you see a very similar looking chart. Only around 10% of our players from the 40s were, were born overseas. Uh, and, and yeah, there's been a, a recent uptick in um, overseas born uh, uh, Socceroos. That's yeah. it's just it, that's that's Australian culture and Australian life. I mean, consider that three of the people on this very podcast have non-Anglo-Saxon surnames. Um, you know, it's it's just it, it it's it's natural that our international teams reflect that, and especially with a sport like football that is so international. But it just it fascinates me just how far back this goes and the depth and culture that's there. And, and as Cody was pointing out, the fact that we've we just blatantly aren't we don't connect with it in that way. Um, and that for me is really disappointing because if there's any Australian national team, with due respect to the cricket and the rugby and whatever else, if there's any Australian national team that actually really breeds that, that identity and that multiculturalism, it's, it's the soccer roots, right? And we should, be, we should really connect with that. And, um, you know, you just, it, it doesn't take long to look through this and, and look at some of the stories of some of the people that are involved. I mean, I, I, I like reflecting on the, the 56 uh, Olympic team, Andrew, because they, they were the first team to actually go to a, a competitive major tournament, right? Um, despite the fact that, you know, the games were at the MCG, right? Like, <laughs> ignoring that part. Um, our, our star player, the, the man that you would consider our star player in 56, his name was, was George Arthur, right? He played for Walsend in northern New South Wales for 20 years. He, he played, I'm pretty sure he played over 300 games for them, right? And the fact that that, that just a story like that, someone who just gave the role for the game in a time when, you know, you weren't doing it for monetary reasons. You weren't doing it to, to make a life for yourself really in that way. And the fact that this man is, is a pioneer that, that represented the game, represented his country, and no one would be able to tell you who he was. You know, it's, it's just, it's a really, it's, I'm just, we have, we have that culture and the fact that we don't embrace it more, um, it's, it's actually quite, quite sad, but, but equally as fascinating and, and you know, we, we have a right to be really proud of it. Yeah, and, and not only the, um, 
you know, those connections with with other countries. The thing is, with the, mm. the Socceroos is the um is the regional representation. Yes, yeah, so George Arthur, as you mentioned, a, a, well, Newca a Newcastle player. With, uh, about so what we've got a hundred. We've got twelve percent of Socceroos came from the northern New South Wales region, which has about three percent of the country's population. So that's <laughs> interesting as well to look at the um you know the 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 that comparison of you know. Of, of players born in different regions compared to the, to their populations. Um, Ipswich, Ipswich is a really big one, right? Um, that's right. You know, we yeah. spoke about Alex Alex Gibb. He was technically from you know very good yeah. Um, um, Ipswich, yeah. And and I think Ipswich is is the the town or city that's produced nearly the most soccerers or the most soccerers today. Yeah, right yeah. Depending, yeah, how you define your region. Yeah, yeah. I forget yeah. the the number now. I used, I, um, used that as a bit of a promo piece for the um. The 19 for the 2018 um, encyclopedia launch where I did a, a launch up there in, in, in Ipswich and I was so proud they, there was such a good launch up there all these old guys came out um, fathers of, of players from from back in the day really proud of their history so not many Ipswich players in more recent years um, I mean a couple of current A-league players and um, um, Neil Kilkenny Dylan, spent a bit of time. In, yeah, um, Dylan. Dylan Wenzel Hall's Wenzel from Ipswich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, a, and a few. I mean, yeah. And obviously, we're talking about the, the men's team here. The women's team has a have a very fascinating history as well. And regional representation is actually higher um, for for the, the Matildas in terms of the distribution across the country. But anyway, um, yeah, Ipswich has a, a strong history. A lot of players, especially from the fifties, forties, and fifties. But as you mentioned there, mm. um, I'm at the um, yeah, 1922 team, the captain was an Ipswich player. Yeah, so Matt just touched on the 1956 Olympic Games. So the first, I guess, competitive era of the Socceroos started with those Olympic Games and didn't do too badly. I mean, so beat Japan in the first round and then eventually were eliminated by India in the last eight. Now, that's interesting because if we... I guess we're ever eliminated by India in a tournament now, everyone would just go nuts. So yeah. <laughs> they qualified for the World Cup in 1950. Okay. Like you just, you have to give it some perspective. And if you actually, exactly. if you actually look, look through the records, we beat, we beat uh, uh, South Korea and Japan quite a lot in yeah. the 50s and yeah. 60s. Mm. It's something that when you, when you look back on it, you think that was happening now. I mean, the, one of my favorite ever teams is the team of 1970. They, they missed out by by a goal to, to Israel to, to go to the, the 1970 World Cup in Mexico. They they like dismantled Japan and Korea mm. quite easily, actually. Mm. And it's just, you know, considering everything that's gone on with the OFC and the AFC and, and you know, it just for me, like I, I think we really have to hand it to these to these teams of the past and really respect them a lot more. You know, it's it's such a travesty that they don't get that respect in, in mainstream Australian culture, really. Yeah, that's that seventy squad. Yeah, you mentioned the the loss, the defeating of Japan and, and Korea, and those games were actually all in in, in Seoul, in um mm. in um in South Korea, obviously. Um, yeah, and then they had to after winning the Asian group, they had to, we had to play off against um well um uh, Zim, or Rhodesia, we call them now Zimbabwe. That game was played in in neutral Mozambique, which is um. <laughs> Uh, a neutral that's where the curse started right it's where the Andrew, where the curse started of course of course yeah yeah, yeah. so three match um two draws and then we had to um win a, a final playoff there 
And then almost on the plane, looking at the dates here, yeah, so the last game against um, Rhodesia was the 29th of November, 1969. On the 4th of December, so five days later, we're playing in Tel Aviv. Just went down to a, by a goal there. And then the second leg of that, uh, against Israel, a, a two-match playoff against Israel. The, the home game here played in, in Sydney was a one-all draw. Um, yeah, so what a, what a marathon. Those, and and those just bearing players. in mind, these these guys weren't exactly professionals, right? And they're going from <laughs> they're going from Africa to Israel within five days and playing very very well. I mean, and just, you can't you then, you can't imagine that the the football conditioning principles back in the fifties uh, were were anywhere near well, the seventies, yeah. But but none sorry, of, and then seventies, yeah. What yeah. we see today, none of, yeah. None of, you're right, though. None of that kind of, you know, the, the medical assistance and the chartered flights didn't yeah. exist back then. <laughs> and, and it just makes it so much more impressive. Literally, like for everything that, you know, like the SBS and the, the world game, watching those classic shows with Les Murray and Craig Foster back in the day, how did they not spend a two hour long show just talking about this all day? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It just, it, it just, it, you really just you really have to give a perspective and really really appreciate what these people went through as as footballers you know as, as human beings because it's just so impressive when you when you really take a step back and, and give it that perspective yeah i think as well christian you mentioned sports science wouldn't be up to scratch with the way it is in today's world but yeah, just, like seriously you know, cody could you imagine you know back in back in the 1970 it's it's like yeah you know, guys, we need a day off tomorrow. You know, recovery. You know, ice baths, this and that. It's like, no, no. What are you? What are you talking about? <laughs> none of that. None of that. But um, not just that. General technology in general wouldn't have been the same as what it is today. So those flights probably would have been a little bit longer if they went directly from Mozambique to Tel Aviv. Yeah. They might have had to take a connecting flight, maybe two or three. You don't. Know, it just makes everything that little bit more special. Yeah. Yeah. Look. Just yep. Yep. Amazing stuff. And yeah, look, I think more of these stories are getting out. Um, yeah, they don't get out enough as, as we're, we're, we're talking about um, on the show. But um, yeah, I think there is slowly, slowly more and more appreciation of um, what these more pioneering teams have done. Um, and it really is thanks to people like yourself and, and you know, Richard, who we were talking about earlier. I mean, the, the, the FFA um, has a board of historians, right? Is that, is that right, Andrew? Uh, yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah. Do you? Yep. <laughs> okay, so I mean, I'm on the board. Yep, yeah. It, it's, yeah, it's well, not, I, I know. All, that, but, all we but, do is, um, yeah. Look, it's it's not a. It, it, we're essentially a a, a a group of um people at the moment. Our, our main role is to endorse or to recommend um play uh, people for the the Hall of Fame that gets. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So um. Yeah. Be, be you know. A, um, yeah, so there are, um, yeah, so, so there's an appreciation there by the, the, the national governing body. I mean, there's you know, not, not the resources to do as much as they'd like, but yeah, look, this this year it has been um, gone up at another level in terms of that historical recognition with um, the 100 year celebrations that we'll hear a lot more of over the, um, mm. the next, um, well, especially over the next 96 days, actually, the 94 days. I mean, um, the, the hub, on the FA website, 100 Years of Socceroos Hub was launched on the 17th of of, um, of June, the 100 year anniversary of the first game. And exactly 100 days after that, I didn't realise this until a couple of days ago, is our, is our centenary game against New Zealand. That's pretty cute. So <laughs> on the 100 year anniversary, we, we, we have this 100, years, 100 days of celebration between that 
16th of June, 17th of June um, anniversary date and that actually that, that centenary game. Obviously we couldn't play that centenary game on the 17th of March because both the national teams had just come off um, a ridiculously unique experience of, of qualifying or not qualifying for New Zealand in this playoff game. In, should have, should have qualified. You know, yeah. Probably one of the closest um, places to the equator. We're talking about the games that were furthest away from the equator before. But, you know, yeah. you're, you're playing a, a World Cup qualifier. Like, who would have thought of, thought this was going to happen? You know, even just two years ago with COVID just starting. You know, Australia's yeah. final quali- playoff game was going to be against Peru in, in, in Doha. Um, yeah, so obviously no, no 100-year anniversary on the day. But, um, yeah, um, a, a, a two-match series against the New Zealanders um, coming up in in three months. Do we know if um, there were any other invites? Well, going back to the, the, the 1922 team, there were any other invites before New Zealand for, for Australia to, to play an international? Um, I don't know if that was before 22, but... There was a news like a New South Wales actually team actually went to New Zealand um, in 1905, in the 1904, 1905. Um, yeah, I'm sure there were stories of potential tours by an English team. I don't know if an Australian right. team was touted to go over to England before. 22. How long was it, um, Andrew? I know we. We, we basically were doing all like tours like they do in rugby and cricket, right? Where we went over to play Canada and South Africa and things like that. That that was was that sort of did that start as a result of what happened um, against New Zealand, or was it just you know because uh, because it's not like the game was in a point where it just all of a sudden had a lot of money, right? What what actually spurred the team on to start that tradition of of going overseas? Yeah, well, actually, most of our, yeah, Australia, the Australian team didn't go overseas, apart from New Zealand, until, well, there were, there were a couple of, it's okay, there was a tour in 1928 of the Dutch East Indies, or Indonesia, another tour in 1931 to the Dutch East, East Indies, but generally it was, a, it was teams coming here, Canada came here right. in 24, English FA side came here in 25, that was, that was they played against the WA eleven at Fremantle Oval. I, I just happened oh, to know yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yep, yep, yep. Um, and yeah, so the English FA games in nineteen twenty five are not considered a internationals by either country. But yeah, yeah. 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 I recognise the, the players from from these 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 teams. Um, and um, yeah, just cheating here by looking at my my list. Yeah, Israeli team came in nineteen thirty. A um, club team came in nineteen thirty nine. The Indian an Indian side came to Australia in thirty eight. So yeah, we didn't travel overseas much, really. Um, it was more those mm. those countries, uh, mainly Commonwealth countries, as you mentioned there before, Matt, coming to Australia. Um, yeah. yeah, we didn't really travel much until. I thought we, I thought we did play in South Africa, but I, I could just be wrong. Oh yeah, in the fifties. Yeah, yeah, later. Fifties. Okay, okay, yeah, that okay, that, that, that yep, was yep. quite a few decades from when I was thinking, but yeah. Um, yep. And one more thing, I I, I did just want to want to touch on that was you mentioned the Dutch East Indies team. Didn't they play in the world? Did they played in the World Cup in '38. That rings a bell. Yeah, I, I think head. I did. Yeah, I think I did. I think Indonesia um, hold the record of being being one of the, the more like one of three or four World Cup teams that have still technically been to the World Cup, even though they weren't Indonesia at the time and having not scored a goal. So I just just awesome. yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, really interesting. Um, and so. 
Australia through this period. So you got the 1956 Olympic Games. Then nine years later, you have the first qualifying campaign in North Korea in 1965. Then nine yeah, years I, later. I actually, can I yeah. just get Andrew to comment on this? I don't mean yeah. to interrupt. I, just, no, you're I know right. Andrew, Andrew was, is the best person to actually speak on this. Um, what actually happened with us sort of formally joining FIFA in the 60s? Uh, I'm not. I'm not an expert. You're on the short. Are we? Are we talking about the the band from '59 to '63? Or no, I'm. I'm just talking about our admission into the organisation because right. I've I've tried to look into this and admittedly haven't had much success. Why? Why? I mean, I understand obviously that that travel costs and things like that were an issue, but why was it that that we weren't admitted into the organisation a bit sooner? Into the into FIFA or into yeah in, into or, FIFA itself yes well I guess we'd always been part of FIFA um, whether it was through the British Football Association in the, in the early days but yeah as Christian mentioned there was we were officially in, you know disendorsed or kicked out of FIFA for around three or four years um, mm. yeah, you see different estimates of, of that time um, yeah, so the, the the reason Australia got kicked out was of um, complications around transfers of players. Yeah. So this is the migrant boom in the fifties. A lot of the big um, big clubs were forming in, in in Sydney and Melbourne, especially um, luring players from um, especially Eastern Europe, uh, the Czech or Czech players, Hungarian players, and not paying transfer fees. Yes, yeah, so I read I read as well, that, um, Andrew, that there were. So Dutch and Austrian clubs that were basically furious that fees were not being paid and mm. the Australian clubs were trying to claim that, you know, we're bringing them over as migrants, not footballers, um, even though, you know, you are bringing them over for the sole purpose to play football. But, mm. yeah. It's, it's and amazing, it's stupid it? because, because by today's standards, like it wouldn't even be that big of a deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. Well, I well, the, the, the fees side definitely would be yeah oh yeah well i'm just thinking about naturalizing players though of course yeah um, yeah 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 Yeah. the naturalization part is definitely not an issue i guess in these yeah. this day and age yeah 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 yep so kicked out so we couldn't apply any any official games so yeah, it was unfortunate for the best players at the time who didn't get that opportunity to um to represent the country because there was no country to represent according to fifa but yeah certainly made up for it from the, the mid 60s with a um yeah, we, we started playing quite frequently from 65, from that first World Cup qualifying uh, campaign, as, as you mentioned, Christian, um, against the North Koreans. And um, yeah, a couple of tournaments in war-torn Vietnam, South Vietnam in the late 60s. That was um, the first ever tournament that we won? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Vietnam National mm-hmm. Tournament in 1967, where apparently the sound of gunfire could be heard um during games which is just a surreal um thing to think of uh and yeah leading into that that 70 world cup team is all qualifying team team that tried to qualify that attempted to qualify um that that we were speaking about before yeah amazing times oh yeah cody it's this is interesting because i remember when i came across reading about the transfer fee stuff and Clubs refusing to place transfer fees and then these clubs being pissed off. And then we think of today and, and we've always had these discussions in recent years around, you know, oh, why can't A-League clubs pay transfer fees between each other to get players and, and things like that? You know, it's like they're not like, you know, it, it's like this. <laughs> it's a never-ending story. It's Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of like the shoes on the other foot now, though, because it's not just talking about in between 
A-League clubs, but we have a lot of players that are not going overseas for almost next to nothing. I do think FIFA have mm. reg- regulations now to make sure. Well, yeah, it's almost it's almost come full circle, hasn't it? Because you read about this, the European clubs being annoyed that we're not playing the fees, and now we're annoyed a lot of Australian clubs, yeah, are annoyed oh. that they don't get the value for money when we when we sell our players overseas. Yeah, you'd say it's different circumstances. It was definitely different circumstances to that. At the end of the day, back in the 50s, 60s, people were just generally migrating over to Australia. I know you did say before it was we were bringing them over as footballers, but they were. At the end of the day, there were very, very few professional football opportunities back at that time, especially in Australia. So you are bringing them over here as skilled workers at the end of the day, whereas now we're letting footballers go for nothing. Where clubs are taking them purely for footballing reasons and a lot of early clubs don't get a cent out of it. So there is probably a little bit of a difference there. But yeah, it is funny how things do come full circle in the end. Yeah, I think, look, we're going to modernise, right? Like our, our time will come. I just think that the whole conversation, it's just, it's I very, so. well, I mean, for me, the whole conversation is just about when are we going to get with the times? When is Australian football actually going to, going to be able to produce at that, that standard and, and be like everyone else? Look, we're, we're slowly getting there, right? I mean, the independence of the A-League was something we talked about yeah. for years and years and years. And if, it's, if, if, if progress and growth are that slow, you know, it, it, you just have to accept that it's going to take time, right? Yeah. I'd take slow growth over nothing, to be fair, so. Exactly. No, no, exactly. And I mean, mm. at the end of the day, you know, we're still, with with the expansion of the World Cup, it's it's not like these kinds of things are going to become a systemic issue because we're going to have a safe, a fairly safe entrance into the World Cup at that level anyway. Um, and if that's what really helps grow the game in this country, then then, you know, it's basically a safety net for the, for the, the, the relevant authorities. Right. I mean, yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, don't want to, don't want to stray too far off topic. So get back to, right. Sorry. No, 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 no. You're right. You're right. Um, because I'm sure I am almost hundred percent certain in a, uh, in a future pod, we will, we'll discuss that sort of stuff. So <laughs> the first ever qualifying campaign in North Korea. So 1965. Now I just put in my notes here, less said the better about that well, campaign. Well, look, to, to, to be fair, if we actually had the opportunity to play against South Korea and South Africa in the original group as proposed, we probably would have done all right. It's just that that North Korea team, they made a World Cup quarterfinal, Christian. Yeah, like, they were a five, very, five, very good team. 5-3 lost to Portugal, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, no, they were a very, very good team. So And that's, that's you, like, Eusebio. Eusebio is Portugal, if I'm not mistaken, as well. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is. And they beat, they beat Italy. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean... You know, just just people need to understand that and give it perspective, right? Like like everything else. Um, yeah, totally inexper- inexperienced Australian team. Like maybe the North Koreans were as well. But and and in terms of you know, remember Australia's a big country. We're, we're trying to get these players physically together. Our, our pre World Cup qualifying camp in 1964, 65 was in in Townsville. Um, you can imagine how. Um, relatively primitive the conditions were up there and in, in, in facilities were you know in, in Townsville maybe Cairns um, you know we had one one camp basically before the the, the, the two World Cup qualifiers yeah so um, in Cambodia actually um, yeah one we lost one six and one three um, Les Scheinflug scored uh, both of our, our, our goals but you know it's Les was, Les was the, to... the hero of that era it's fair to say there was there was really no one else who, who would have stood up and been been a, a decent player at the time to really spur us on in a big match right 
Unless yeah. scored both the goals against North Korea, yeah. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. yeah, and again, another classic uh, migrant story. Um, Elise Scheinflugger, who went on to coach uh, all of our age-restricted teams, basically the under the Joeys, the young Socceroos, uh, even had a couple of stints as the um, as the the young senior team coach through the 70s through to to um, well, almost 30 years. His coaching um, a career went for, um, but yeah, look, yeah, that was our starting point in terms of the World Cup qualifiers, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a brutal lesson there, but as you say, um, guys, yeah. The North Koreans weren't any 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 pushover in the um, '66 World Cup. Seventy. Mm. Mm. I feel like Christian. If I know you're the host, so I should step back. But, no, no, uh, no. 70, take, take it away. Take it well, away. Well, I was Matt. just going to say seventy. We've probably already touched on anyway. But seventy was when you started to kind of see what can be considered the golden generation before the golden generation, right, Andrew? Yeah. Sure. Yep. 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 Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the club football boomed in in the sixties, and I guess um, uh, a lot of the you know, f- um, yeah, we, we see the um, we, we f- the flow-ons from that in, in terms of our national team getting much stronger suddenly in the in the late seventies, through the mid seventies. Uh, yeah, and again, players of, from a variety of of, of countries. Um, uh, you know, a lot of the a lot of UK, you know, English and and Scots players in that um in that in that era, but. They sort of started having a sprinkling of, of, of um, players from the, the former Yugoslavia and um, uh, Czech Republic. There was a, a David Zeman from from the Czech, oh, from Czechoslovakia, um, and and yeah, yeah, the um, we qualified for, for the nineteen seventy four World Cup on the on the um, back of that on the back of that nineteen seventy squad, basically. And then by and then by seventy eight, uh, things pretty much fell apart, right? Mm, mm. Yeah, a bit of an implosion there in terms of our qualifying campaign for for '78. Um, we'll um, should we should we take a break and we'll touch on we'll come back and and talk a little about '74, '78. Yeah, what do we think? Sure, sure, sure. yeah, sure. All right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, all good. All right, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back talking about the 1974 team. Okay, so 1974. Australia qualify for their first World Cup under the guidance of Raleigh Razic. Now, interesting build-up to to that. So, Australia actually went on a twelve-match unbeaten run in nineteen seventy in the nineteen seventy-two World Tour and an undefeated tour of Asia. And you're looking at all the stats, and really, Raleigh was kind of like the first managerial pioneer in it for the Socceroos. When you when you have a look at at these statistics and and how he got this team gelled and ready and then eventually was able to get over that hump and and qualify for the for the World Cup, he, he really was, you know, we we've talked before about Ange and and of course we've had our Graham Arnold debates of late, but Raleigh Razic, one of Australia's you know most consistent coaches and and a real pioneer in a managerial sense. I think what he did during that time really cannot be underestimated, even stepping away from the build-up and looking at the World Cup itself. Yeah, sure, we didn't score a goal, we didn't win any games, but at that time, we had a solid domestic-based squad, which obviously in the 70s was more common than what it would be today. But to take a squad like that, which was mostly semi-professional players as well, and to be competitive with sides like West Germany, East Germany and Chile, if 
someone did that today, like the equivalent would maybe be if one of the island nations in Oceania went to the World Cup and were they got respectable results. If someone did that today, people would be applauding it massively. So, I guess, I guess New Zealand kind of did that in 2010, one or draw against Italy. Yeah, and I mean, just to just to touch on that though, Cody, keep, keep in mind the National League didn't form until three years later, right? So, I mean, mm-hmm. we, we literally were, yeah, and I mean, in the technical sense, we literally are an island nation <laughs> in Oceania to touch on that. But, um, I know this is soccerers, but I just want to say, look, Ricky Herbert. That he he was a he was a one hit wonder as well, which I think makes that New Zealand story all the more better. And it's of course it's their one hundredth anniversary as well. But the comparison the comparison is 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 still still less remarkable because of course the Kiwi players were professionals. So you know it doesn't really match up, does it, Christian? Yeah. So exactly. And Australia, so Australia's results: so two 0 loss to East Germany to start. Then yeah. a three 0 loss to West Germany, and then a nil or draw against Chile. So West Germany, I mean, you know, they were unbelievable at that at that point in time. They were going to bat out everybody, really. So they won. That, yeah, and they of course won won the tournament. Um, so whatever. But it's it's funny because I just feel sometimes the the seventy four team. You know, we, we've spoken, and this is just this must be a recency bias thing because we we speak about how many World Cups we qualified for, and they've all been of late. And it's almost like, oh yeah, and oh yeah, and we and we qualified for that one in '74 as well. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah, we did. And funnily enough, we actually got one point in that tournament. And it's kind of like, although I, I love Ange Postecoglou and I think we played well in the 2014 World Cup. Yeah, we didn't get a point in that tournament, so we actually got more in 1974. Mm. Funnily enough, mm. so you know, it, it is interesting when you look at it from that from that point of view. But um, yeah, Matt, I mean, these guys were. You know, like you said, these were part timers. It's it, it's fascinating that we didn't even have a league form, so this was basically you could even say it's, it's harder than because actually looking at the at the talent pool and trying to determine you know without a league system who is you know who's who's the best players who you know what's going to form the squad that that makes things a lot harder. I feel. It probably probably sparked the conversation around sort of unifying the state leagues at the time as well, I'm imagining. But but Andrew, something I wanted you to touch on was was actually maybe a bit of that if you if you do know your fair share about the the obviously the formation of the domestic league. Um, but also um, uh, there was protesters during the Chile game. Did do you know about that, Christian? And and Cody, I'm not sure if you know this. There was there was protesters no, no. during the, the Chile no. game that went out on the pitch. Yeah, really. Yeah. Andrew, take it away. I can't. I don't. I'm not, I don't recall the political situation in in, in, in Chile at the time. I, I could. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> but, I, th- um, I thought you would have. I thought you would have at least known the story of what happened. But no, yeah. no, no. I, I will go back to the, the the last point because you obviously you're you're uh, the stats man with regards to the national league. Did the '74 team really help? Spark the conversation around forming a national league in '77. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No, that's good. Yeah. And, and I'm just did a quick cheat on, on Wikipedia because Pinochet came in, um, seized power in Chile in 1973, so no doubt the protests were related to uh, yeah. to the Pinochet regime. Yeah, look, at, yeah, this, so talking about Raleigh Rasic, what he, what Raleigh had a, uh, was pro- probably understated is he's, you know, he was based, well, he, we didn't have a National League back then. The strongest players were in, mostly in Sydney and Melbourne, so somehow Raleigh had to keep on tabs on players in, in both leagues. Now, Rally 
um, spent time in uh, Victoria. He played for Footscray, JUST, the Yugoslav um, that club um, down there. So he got to know players and, and, and um, personnel through there, then came to, to Sydney uh, in the early 70s to, to join St George. But yeah, still had to maintain the, this, this connection with, um, with, with Victoria, a lot of the strong players from down there. A lot of um, players actually ended up moving to Sydney to be part of um, Raleigh's uh, club side. So he moved to Marconi as coach in, in 72, I think, for a couple of years. And um, yeah, you'll find a, a few of the Melbourne players moved up there. Um, Raleigh was a, was a, a, a good player, um, manager. Um, yeah, got on really well with the, the, the players, as, as you have to in that, that situation. Uh, and... Um, yeah, just just um, you know, he's Serbian by by, by birth or from Bosnia, uh, served there, and um, really yeah, believe connected very well with with a you know a range of personalities from you know all different all different parts of of the world, um, as as we keep saying about the, the soccer teams from the uh, from the from the the previous decades, um, yeah, only sixteen teams in that World Cup. You know, compared to when you think of the next World Cup's going to have 48, it's going to be harder to not play than, than you know, than, than qualify almost. Um, yeah, so, and yeah, a very tough um, qualification campaign, including against, in games against Iran, Iraq, uh, wouldn't have been easy places to go to uh, back then. And so there were some, some massive tussles in, um, in Tehran. Um, in particular was, I think we won the first league, Three nil and yeah. lost the second leg. Two, two nil. nil. And all yeah, it was, it was yeah. three three two on aggregate. And again, it's just one of those things where when you look back on it, how well does it age because of what happened in '98? And it's the same thing with these results against Japan's and the careers of the worlds. You know, we we, we just you just it, it warms your heart just knowing how good we were. You know, mm. and imagine <laughs> that, that the Pack Stadium in Tehran would have been a hundred thousand. Going and these up, guys, um, these guys were, were playing in, in a country where there was not even a national competition. And they were going out to, to pack stadiums in Iran and Iraq and they were holding their own and they were winning. And it just mm, like, it makes me want to honestly break down crying. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say, because Antonis um his first reaction when we we're talking about the Peru game was of course the Aussie DNA and, and stuff like that. But I mean, if, if that against Peru was Aussie DNA, then this is Aussie DNA times, you know, 100. Yeah. Like, this is yeah. next level. You've got, you know, like we said, part-timers, travel. Um, and just on um, what Andrew said about the players being based in Victoria and New South Wales, and you could say, had Raleigh known that, then it's, you know, he kind of based himself and he, and he would travel in that area to keep tabs on those players. Yep. But a lot harder, you know, it's not, it's not a case of, oh, yeah, I'll just, you know, jump on a flight. You know, it, it's it's a lot harder to, I guess, just telecommute, uh, you know, as, you know, it's not like today. So, yeah, he's not going to the live stream of football. Yeah, yeah, with, exactly. With and, you know, you're not getting from 69. Yeah, you know what I mean? And you're not getting sent these, you know, little, oh, you know, you know, so and so's assistant coach put together this little clip of his highlights from the weekend. You know, here you go, Raleigh, sit down, have a watch, and, uh, you know, what do you, what do you think about this guy for the national team? You know, it just doesn't happen. You have to be there in person. You have to watch him. You have to take in his performance, you know, there, you only get the eye test essentially. And that is, that is from a scouting point of view and looking and for selection is a lot harder to, to determine a squad. That's for sure. Yeah. 
One point that I want to make from the 1974 squad, Andrew, you spoke a little bit before about Rally Rasic kind of bringing these guys from all different walks of life. When I look back just some before today, obviously, um, on that 1974 squad, I couldn't find the places of birth for a couple of players, but from what I counted, there was only roughly about five that were born, actually born in Australia. Mm. I don't know if you can confirm or deny that for me, if there was maybe give or take a few, but um, we speak a lot about how we're a nation kind of built on migrants and our football teams are a very good representation of that. Considering the mass migration between the 50s and 70s, that 1974 squad may just be our best example of it. It's not just yeah. the Anglo-Saxon migration as well, because there was a lot of people that are coming from Yugoslavia at the time as well. Yep, yep, yep. There was um, Branko Bujevic, um, Dagu Kjesenovic, uh, Jimmy Milosavljevic, the, the reserve keeper. Uh, although I think he was Melbourne-born, but yeah, obviously, yeah, well, um, on that name, uh, um, with a, a, a Yugoslav background. Yep, yep. Uh, and yeah, Manfred Schaefer, um, the, the um, German connection there. Uh, Rally himself, as we say, born... Um, born in the former Yugoslavia as well. Um, you imagine, yeah, you imagine that, um, sorry, Andrew, you imagine that Raleigh being a migrant himself and, and having been, you know, and half the squad having that similar story, that just makes it a lot easier to, to relate to the squad and to build a sense of camaraderie too. It, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it, you'd think so as well. And, and it's, um, you know, it's a different time for, 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 for Australia as well. I mean, I guess the, it, it probably since the, the, the concept of multiculturalism wasn't as sort of accepted perhaps as it was today. And it was like, you know, these guys come to our country and learn to live like us, that, that sort of thing. So they would have had that sort of underlying current, you know, I would think against them rather than, in a sense, in a sense than for them. I'm not, I can't speak too much because I'm, you know, I wasn't, I was barely alive then. Um, but yeah, yeah, certainly um, would have been up against um, in a cultural sense, but yeah, yeah, it was, um, yeah, just, just, yeah, it is, it is, it's, it's proud to think back of, of these teams and to think back of the national team, the men's team as um, always representing um, or coming from, you know, representing Australia, obviously, but yeah, coming from all different walks of life in terms of their cultural, um, their cultural backgrounds. Well, that, yeah, it, that's the key word, isn't it? Um, is that they represented Australia, you know, they, they, maybe didn't necessarily come from Australia. They weren't, you know, born straight, you know, straight in the, just on the outskirts of the city or anything like that. You know, that they represented the country though. And, yeah. you know, we, we speak about the, the Aussie DNA and, and these guys really started that. They, they really did. Uh, Matt, I'll throw to you. Um, well, yeah, I, what's, what's, what do I need to say that hasn't been said? I mean, um, it just it it, it 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 is as much a part of us now as it was back then but they obviously set set the pathway for how football was was going to be played and perceived um and you know it, it johnny warren was obviously a part of that squad and, and he Absolutely. he really inspired inspired a generation of people to to love the game and you know in, in our day and age you know I was born in Perth. You were born in Adelaide. Cody was born in Sydney. This is an Australian game. That's thanks to them. <laughs> what else needs to be said? Yeah. You know? Um, so, yeah, just love them to bits, really. And, and the 74 team, you know, we just, yeah, they all deserve statues, quite frankly. Yeah, you know, I, honestly, I really do think that they, yeah, we were just talking before 
you know, Matt, you're touching on the the importance of the history stuff and stuff, but I just think particularly with this team, like this is this is a this is a hugely important team in in mm. in in mm. the hundred years of, of the Socceroos. Absolutely. And how could they not be? You know, like, yeah. seriously. Um, even even again, even even in the four years prior, you know, we came within a goal of making it to Mexico in nineteen seventy, and and they they were the pioneers for the pioneers. You know what I mean? So it just it's that that legacy, and and yeah, just just really really exciting, and and just gives you a buzz, even though it happened, you know, fifty years ago, none of us were alive. You still mm. just get so excited to, to discuss it, but um. On that note, I'll uh, awkwardly transition to when it didn't go so good four years later. Um, yep. Rasic was out of the job by 77. Isn't that right, Andrew? Uh, yeah. Um, well, out of the job by then. Yeah, I think he'd, um, yeah. he'd finished up before then. Yep, yep, 74. Yeah, and 77, look, we we got beaten in the, in the, in the first group um, against, uh, you know, New Zealand and... Chinese Taipei and sort of that that Southeast Asian kind of group. I think New Zealand won it. I don't actually know, but yeah, it was it was a disaster, right? And um, it really kind of set us set us back up. Should, it shouldn't have formed the NSL. Moment. We should have we should have clearly delayed it then because clearly the formation yeah, of the well, league just. Well, but, but I, from my understanding, and again, it is a very humble understanding. But from my understanding was that it was mostly just with personnel. It had nothing to actually do with with what was going on with regards to governance and, and, the, and the game in a broader sense? Yeah, there seems to be some sort of implosion or something. The um, the coaching situation was, was pretty unsettled. Yeah, we had Jimmy Shoulder there for um, a couple of years. There's also Brian Grant. Okay, I'm just I'm just cheating about a look at Wikipedia. R- R- Rusic was, was sacked after the World Cup. Replaced with Brian Green. Now I know that name because um, his tenure as a strength coach ended when he was caught shoplifting. <laughs> um, um, oh, what was he shoplifting? Something bizarre. Could have been a record, or an album, or something. But anyway, just this ridiculous story. And then yeah, there was a bit of um, um, yeah, just just I don't know. Just things seem to go off the the, the rails a bit. The rails, and, yeah. But, By... um, you know, it, it's our game, isn't it? You know, just looking back at that, those those results in the um the qualifying campaign, and you know, maybe a, a goal that didn't go in in that one of those early games. If that did go in, it could have changed the whole complexion of the um the the, the qualifying group. But yeah, yeah, we certainly dipped out in in the seventy eight, uh, and again in eighty eighty two. Um, that's well, the, when we um went down to to New Zealand. Or New Zealand. Well, that's actually. that's what I was going to say. That the thing was, we were we're in in a bit of a spot of bother. And New Zealand made the World Cup in 82, right? New Zealand actually were, were pretty good. They, they in their own right, were, were qualifying ahead of us. And I don't think yep. we should look back on that and, and feel, feel, you know, uh, disgruntled and feel a sense of shame about it. If, if New Zealand's time, time had come immediately after ours, that, that for me just said that football in, in sort of Southeast Asia and Oceania was growing. And, you know, we always, we always talk about it's, it's lovely to watch the Asian Cup because it's a continent where the game is growing and, and things like this that, that you know, Euro snobs and, and people like that, they, they bring those talking points up. But this was, I mean, we were seeing it, well, none of us were alive, but we were seeing it in, seeing it in real time, really. You, you see that, that Australia improves sort of the early to mid-70s and then New Zealand had their time immediately after that. So the legacy for 82, I don't think, is necessarily overwhelmingly negative. Um, it's just that New Zealand were, were the better team. Yeah, yeah, they beat us here in a, a crucial game, two 0 in Sydney. 
um, which really, um, yeah, we, we, we couldn't come back from that. That um, would have been, now, correct me if I'm wrong, that would have been New Zealand team with Winton Rufa. Yes. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Who's arguably, well, yeah, one of New Zealand's most most prominent ever players. Of course, Alex Rufa's footballer of the century. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, exactly. He, he got it and an Australian didn't. So what does that say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, yeah, mid-80s, 86, that was a... A close tie. We end up playing Scotland in the final. Scotland, yeah. Jo- Johnny John John Cosmeen is still filthy about it. Every single day that he wakes up, he's just, he's he was the face of Australia at the time, and he, he talks about Frank Carrick wanting to play play the home leg at a, at a cow paddock in Darwin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the, um, you know, sorry, God, not sure how close that came to fruition, but um, <laughs> or how realistic that was, but um. <laughs> Yeah, look, certainly. Um, yeah, look, from all accounts, so this is, yeah, the final qualifying phase. So, yeah, we, we a bit like, um, it's in, yeah, inter- intercontinental qualifier. We'd, we'd won our, yeah. our region and then um, so home and away against Scotland. We played over in Scotland first. Um, and 2 0, but it, we, you know, apparently we, we did okay over there. And yeah, nil all draw down at Olympic Park in Melbourne um, in front of a crowd which, I don't know, just sort of seems to be roughly 50-50 supporting Scotland slash 50 supporting, percent supporting Australia, mm. which, um, mm. yes, yeah, it's still a bit sad to, to think of in a way. Um, and well, yeah, yeah I guess, close yeah, calls. yeah, but I guess when close we calls, think yeah. about what we've, what we've kind of been speaking about with, with the Scottish influence, things like that, I mean, maybe, maybe it wasn't, wasn't that surprising, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, Cosy missed a couple of close goals in that game, yeah. and um, yeah, the thing is, we still lost by two in the end. I mean, if we'd scored one of those, we still wouldn't have got through. Yeah, we weren't. We even if we won at Olympic Park, we weren't going to the World Cup. Like you know, they, they, the Scottish team were superior, and that, that's all you can put it down to. But what is fascinating for me is that before Italia ninety, we beat Argentina. We we beat Argentina in nineteen eighty eight. Um, I guess we had we had an event for the for the bicentennial um, celebration. Um, yep, yep. Fourteen, yeah, fourteen tournament. Yeah, it was a big one against yeah. Brazil, Saudi Arabia, and, and Argentina. Argentina, yeah. And so Charlie Yankos scores an incredible goal against Argentina. Lost to and... Brazil in the final, if if I remember. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Look, like I don't really care that much because I'm like sort of a Confederations Cup or something like that, which came in yeah. the in the years after that. It's not like this was actually, you know, a tournament that we could we could be really proud of if we did win. I mean, it was it was just friendlies after all. But beating Argentina was a statement because by the time 1990 came around, uh, it was just a bit of a disaster again, um, wasn't it, Andrew? I mean, the the, yeah. the referee and the the added time against Israel. Um, yeah. Well, again, it was a, a, a stuff up against New Zealand. So it, it was, in the end, it was a three-team group, Australia, bloody, New Zealand, bloody Kiwis. Israel. <laughs> um, um, and the winner of that would, would go on to play um, uh, uh, Colombia. And, yeah, look, Australia lost to, uh, to, to New Zealand. Um, well, we, we should have... Tell me, tell me though, when you, when you look back on that 1990 playoff, tell me it doesn't kind of piss you off seeing that the OFC's representative was fucking Israel. You know, like, yeah, and Chinese Taipei no was in our group as well. Yep, yeah, yep, and Chinese Taipei as well. Right. well. But that's yep, fine so. because at least you, you can sort of bracket Southeast Asia and East Asia in the OFC. Like, if you, you ask most people, that's kind of what they want to happen to the OFC. So Chinese Taipei, I can stomach that. Israel, though, I mean, 
yeah, clearly, clearly far before they were planning to join your way, far, but ugh, it, well, it just makes you feel yeah, uncomfortable. Yeah, it, was, it was obviously a political decision yeah, there, such which, as, as Taiwan as well, because they because they didn't want um to be in the same confederation as, as mm. the Chinese national. Yeah, side. but should yep. the OFC should the OFC have really been used as like a politically neutral territory? It just it was so unfair for us, and I just yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it at all. But um, by all means, I mean. I was sort of speaking to an Israeli about the teams of that era, and he said they were they're they're, they're still considered to be pretty good um, in Israeli terms to this day. So, I suppose you you know credit where it's due, and and we messed up again. So, what can you say? Yep, yep, that was yeah, and that's when we started getting huge crowds. I remember that that, that playoff game against Israel on um, um, 16th of April '89. Um, it was um, it was huge. I was in Sydney at the time, and um, yeah, just just it was a one-all draw. We needed to to win the, to win the group, and um, as you as you mentioned there, Matt, the, the ref called full time right on ninety minutes, which was just bizarre. I mean, just um, yeah. Anyway, I mean, yeah. So a lot of a lot of flack about that decision, but you know, the thing is, we still had to score in those. If we would have got two or three minutes, and um, if we but we were we New were Zealand, it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been as controversial. You know, yeah. it was it was on us at the end of the day. Yeah, cool. Yep, 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 yep. So, um, yeah, missed out there, but still, there was another stage. Israel played against, um, I think it was Colombia. It was Colombia. Yeah, no, I, I know that as a matter of fact because I'm just so obsessed with the fact that the 1990 representative for the OFC was Israel. So I've I lo- I've looked into that playoff and I've, I've spoken to Israelis about it. <laughs> that that yeah, haunts that haunts you in your a, nightmares, Matt. That's like it's, it's just such a it's just such a fascinating footnote of history, uh, honestly, and. I could talk more. Look, obviously, it's it's not the point of the show, and it's not the point of, of what we do at FBF Christian, um, as you've informed me many times before. But but when we talk about sort of our our impact on history, there's so much more th- that can be said for teams from other continents that aren't Europe or South America and their impact on the game. Um, well, it, well, it but, intertwines, doesn't it? So you, it yeah, does. It does. Yeah. I mean, I mean, 1974, we were sort of the pioneers for Oceania. The, the DR Congo, or Zaire, as they were known then, they were the first, I believe they were the first African team to ever be at a World Cup in, in 74. And when you look at, at Africa's impact on the World Cup thereafter, I mean, it's just, it's, it's really incredible that they had that impact. So, you know, it, it, I think what's good about that is that we can look at that and respect it. Whereas, you know, the, the South Americans and the Europeans, they'll still always look at it with that arrogance. And, um, and that's something that, that, I feel is actually a massive asset to us as well. Um, but uh, yeah, 90, 94, 94 after that, um, pretty famous for obviously the successful playoff against Canada, but then we, we weren't by any means getting past Argentina after that, right? <laughs> we got close though. It was, mm. that was, God, I remember that so clearly. I love that. Yeah, so our, our final playoff against the... Um, home away against Argentina we played in Sydney the first leg and Maradona famously came back from retirement to play uh, in that game uh, Sydney was a buzz that that weekend October 93 and you know there was a bit of the fuzz sort of there was a bit of a fizzle out when um it was Abel, Abel Balbo scored early in early-ish in the game for Argentina thinking oh shit you know all this excitement, uh, we're down one nil. But before you know it, we're up one all. Um, the Vidmar brothers, um, Tony and Aurelio, combined to 
to score. And suddenly, yeah, we're up um, level against the, the Argentinians. But yeah, just one all draw in the end. Second leg in Buenos Aires. Um, it was a known goal in the end. This unlucky goal that came off um, Alex. Yeah, I've, I've seen the footage of it. Yeah. And he went down 1 0 at, you know, at the, um, uh, the Boca Stadium in, 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 in Argentina. I mean, it's still, if it was nil all, we still wouldn't have got through because of away goals. Mm. Mm. Um, but still, you know, not that far behind results wise. And don't uh, worry, we. I think I think we got our revenge twenty one years. Oh, sorry, uh, twenty seven years later at the Olympics. So it's all good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although we didn't make um, it through, so I, I don't know. I don't know if you can. So didn't Argentina too? Sure. So true, true. It's a win against Argentina, mate. Go, go, fucking insane. <laughs> So you, yeah. you need to, you, Matt. You got to slowly work out that I'm a, I'm a pessimist when it comes to stuff. I just look at results, yeah, which isn't fair well, at all. <laughs> whatever. No, no, no. That's a, that's another conversation you know itself. No, no, no. You know it. Nah, I do try and take a broader view. I'm just, you know. Yeah. Anyway, all right. whatever. <laughs> yeah. So. Okay. I lo- I love that I'm hosting your show now. How does that feel? Well, yeah. Well, <laughs> look. Look, you have clearly just done the research for about what six you just said before since the 2015 Asian Cup. So you've got, <laughs> you've got seven years of research on me. All right. So uh, you just go for it, basically. Okay. All right. This one, I don't think we need to talk about it for very long. Um, 1998, Peter Hoare was the man's name who, who ran out onto the, the, the field and tore down the net. The MCC pitch yeah when mcg mm. pitch when australia with yeah, two goals up against iran playing in the second leg of the um intra-confederational no 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 it was still inter-confederationals it was oceania it was, playing yeah. um the asian Asia. um, yeah. uh, team um and yeah yeah i remember that first leg game in tehran that was just just, just amazing harry kuehl um 17 i think just um killing it over there one all draw um and then yeah came back 2-0, yeah, I remember the game fondly. I was, unfortunately, I was there. Um, I was in Melbourne for that whole week and just just so buzzed for it. And um, like, you know, 85,000 others, we, we were singing, you know, we're off to France, you know, we're 2-0 up. And then you mentioned the, the, the net, um, or the, the Peter Hoare incident, yeah. So ruining the momentum, you, you, you'd probably um, fairly say in, in, in terms of um, Australia's dominance, just suddenly... The game had to stop for several minutes as the the net was being repaired again. Who would have predicted something like that was going to happen? And oh, then, we've got yeah. we've got a net. We've got a net that needed to be repaired. We've got an own goal. We've got you know, it, it's just, it's just of bizarre. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. And yeah, the feeling after the game went yeah went down. Oh, Iran scored two goals. One of the away goals rule. Um, yeah, so we did not lose a game in that qualifying campaign. Mm. Um, but yeah, did not make it. Um, and of course, oh, Iran. Am I right in saying it was 1998 where Iran had their really famous win against the US? Don't know off the top of my head. Right, sorry. But, <laughs> uh, I think I so think, in France. I, yeah, 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 yeah. No, Iran. I'm I'm equally as fascinated by Iran's football history because it's very very sort of tumultuous and just a very fascinating country that's that's been at the very top of Asia and the Azadi Stadium. I mean, like, it's it's amazing to me, considering all the time we've been in the AFC. I don't think we have, have ever actually played a run away since 98. Or at least not, not in a competitive sense. 
I don't um, remember playing them in qualifiers since then. No, and and the Azadi Stadium is one of my favourite stadiums in the world. I'd love to face that atmosphere. Like I, I'd, I'd love to do it. And for some reason, we've just never been drawn against them since. And I, I, yeah. I really want to see that. I really want to see that rematch and that narrative, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it is um, quite remarkable that, yeah, because we're two of the strongest sides in Asia that we haven't actually mm. confronted mm. each other in a World Cup qualifying um, game um, since then. Um, yeah, I remember that day, that, yeah, the day after I, um, I was booked to, to fly back to Adelaide that night. And I remember calling Qantas in the morning saying, oh, you know, I've got a, a sickness or something. I really need to get back on a, getting a flight. And yeah, I was able to get a, a flight back home early in the morning um, the next day. And um, I remember getting the, I still had my Socceroos top, getting, I got in the airport, I, from the airport, getting a taxi home. And the taxi driver said, oh, you're at the game, were you? I said, oh, yeah. He said, oh, you know, I had a shift last night, but I couldn't do it. I just, you know, it was like $200 down the drain because I just, I could not do it. I was just, it was just, it was awful, awful feeling after that game. Mm. Um, the thing is, though, like, we play in the Confederations Cup. Well, I was going to, I was actually, I segued to that earlier. I was going to we mention it. We made the final. We yeah. Made the final. We beat Uruguay in the, in or oh, in the semis, we beat. Uruguay, we finished um, in the top two in our group, and yeah, got, you know, made the final of the Confederations Cup. You know, a couple of weeks after that awful, awful playoff loss. Um, yeah, yeah, it was really demoralizing. Yeah, it was just yeah, yeah, amazing memories. Oh, and I mean, the Confederations Cup. Like, I, I shed, I shed many a tear when um, FIFA announced that the Confederations Cup was was being stopped, because honestly, it was a tournament that. Sure, when we joined Asia, we knew we probably weren't going to be competing in again. But it just, for me, it, it really was a tournament that, that, that summarised our ability and New Zealand's ability as well to be able to face it up to the big boys and kind of shut their mouths a bit. You know, it was a tournament that really meant a lot to us throughout the 90s and continued to mean a lot to New Zealand as the OFC representative throughout the sort of uh, 2000s and, and 2010s. And I think that... <laughs> You know, with with this ridiculous idea of a, of an, an actual club World Cup with groups and whatever else that they're planning to do, it just it really yeah. The Confederations Cup is a very special tournament, and we we certainly marked our presence at, at the Conference Cup for many years. So, um, yeah, just a real real shame what ended up happening with the team of the '90s. And when you move on to the early 2000s, look, we weren't going to get past Uruguay after we we got off the bus, right? The whole idea was they, they set up an atmosphere that was so toxic and, and just so hard for us to overcome that because we hadn't experienced it before on that level. And, um, you know, they all, they all, all the soccerers of that era, they, they, they say now that it pretty much was the cornerstone for what happened in 2005 because we realised it's actually not that intimidating, but at the time, it was a massive culture shock, and it's really the reason why we didn't we didn't go to Korea and Japan. Yeah, yeah, the, the two legged playoff against Uruguay in um, late two thousand and one. So we actually won the first league. Kevin Musket penalty at the MCG. I remember going nuts. The MCG that night it was a midweek game, I reckon. Uh, then they yeah, travelled for a, a game in Montevideo four, five days later. Yeah, the, famous the for the uh, the iconic image of of Tony Vidmar crying yeah. down, of course, in yeah. tears. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, as you say, I think we learnt 
or you implied at least we, we learnt a lot from that. Our, our, our preparation four years later against the same opponent was just, whew, um, in, in terms of, yeah, the technical staff, the, 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 the travelling, um, uh, Australia's travel to and from and, and, and the way yeah. the team were, so were I can, protected. Yeah. I, I a can... lot went into that 2005. Mm, mm. So I, I know of someone who was, who was closely involved with the with Socceroos at that, at that stage and in, in, in the preparation for that. And basically the view was very much if they can do that to us, four years earlier we're going to do it to them so we're going to put them you know we're going to make sure that they fly economy over here we're going to make sure that they're in shit accommodation in all of this you know all of this you know we're going to make it hell for them just like they did for us and uh yeah it, it was it's one of the i almost feel like it's australia was kind of fought back in 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 a way in football in a sense of that aussie dna and 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 you know always fighting hard and fighting to the end and this sort of stuff. But that was almost like a, an eye for an eye sort of thing hearing that. And, and I've never, I don't know if we've really had any other moments throughout the history where we've kind of taken that sort of approach, but it was, it was really interesting to hear that. But this is, this is, sorry, Cody, I'll, I will get you to, to speak on, but Cody, when we Matt, talk Cody about- hasn't spoken in about 25 minutes. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay okay i was just gonna say and i think i think to be fair you're you're probably gonna make the point that i was just about to make but when we talk about andrew stealing redmayne, thunder. Wow. yeah andrew redmayne and the water bottle the whole thing around that was we did to south americans what south americans would do to us and we learned that lesson in 2001 um the 2001 team were the pioneers for learning how to get past south america America, even though they didn't do it themselves right um and you know you hear the stories of of sort of the new zealand team in in 2017 having fireworks lit outside their hotel room and all these terrible things you know if if, if we just realized at the time what it, what it took to overcome that we we would have been we would have definitely definitely qualified for 2002 um cody were you going to make a similar point i hope you were um no actually what i was gonna say okay. oh good no, um, one thing, if there's one story out of that, that was a personal favourite of mine from that 2005 playoff. When we did go over there, I think we let, we made sure we didn't make the same mistake of actually going to Uruguay in the first place. From memory, mm. in that for that 2005 playoff, we did our preparations in Argentina, didn't we? Yeah. And Argentina yeah. were kind of sitting there going, oh, we don't want our rivals to go to the World Cup, so we're going to help you guys out, yeah. give you guys a booth. Yeah. And you made the point that, um, we made Uruguay fly economy over here, which if they had to do direct Uruguay to Sydney economy would be no leg room of a flight. <laughs> and um, Qantas ensured that we had a chartered flight over here. And we had, I think we got out of the country pretty much day of the game. Qantas well, it's sure. on that. Yeah. Well, Cody, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but it's on that. Um, obviously that documentary Fox did a few years ago on, on November 16. And, and they were talking about, on the way back and the Socceroos basically had, you know, the plane themselves and the, you know, massage people, tables. yeah, massage tables, you know, people getting rub downs, you know, whatever. And it's, it's basically like recovery on the plane. So no worries, you know, it is, I, I, you have to give credit absolutely to the organization in, in that time period, because they just played the field perfectly that they, they made sure learned from the mistakes. And then, you know, what, let's think outside the box here. What, you know, who else, you know, can we use that isn't maybe someone from FIFA or whatever that can actually give us an advantage here? 
and it was one of Australia's most famous companies. And even when we got back to Australia, that second playoff, just the attitude that Australians had to that game, something that probably hasn't been seen in Australian sport before and will never be seen again. The I'm going to use the words utter disrespect to boo throughout the Uruguay National Anthem, but it was something that probably did help us massively. And it's not something that I look back on with any sort of distaste as much as was disrespectful, really. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's something that you you look at and you're like, I don't think you look at it and you're happy because they're booing the anthem. I think you're more happy that the, the mentality shifts. And that for ourselves for once. Yeah, yeah. We're not trying to play the nice guys. That's right. And you're not being nice guys at least. So so there was that um, as well. But I mean, so I was I was three years old. Matt, you would have been what, seven? Then? Yes. I, to be fair, I actually have memories of watching a bit of 05 and 06. Yeah. So... Like, yeah, it's it's not like I, I didn't remember any of it. I, I actually quite clearly remember watching a lot of sport at the time as a young kid. So, um, yeah, it's it's hard it's hard for me to sort of draw on the perspective, though, because I was only a kid, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's hard for me to say that, that I remember what was going on at the time and I, I had, you know, these really wild scenes that were going on. I mean, I was, I was a seven-year-old, you know, sitting on the couch watching it. It's, it's not quite the same thing. Um, and just on that point, look, I, I did want to tell a, f- a few stories um, at some point about I the, was just, the one sec, one sec, Matt, one sec, Matt, because I was just going to, so Cody, how old were you at that time? Um, I would have, it was just before my sixth birthday, but I have yes. not much recollection of that game. My earliest memories of the soccer is more come during that 2006 World Cup. So yeah. when so, I say I don't know what it feels like to miss the World Cup, I genuinely mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So no, at no, least, no, least we've got someone here who, I'd imagine. So, Andrew, did you attend the game? Where were you? you yeah, know, yeah, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was behind the goals. That the, the penalty shootout goals. It was just a unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Just, yeah, it was. Yeah, the build up to the game. Yeah, so drinks in the city, and then the the, the twenty minute train trip out to 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 Homebush. Um, yeah, magic magic day. Um, and and afterwards as well, like you know, it was like a few. It was just a small group just went back to I wanted to go to the, the the casino there in Sydney and just. We didn't have to. We weren't shouting and singing all night. We were just there's a small group of us at this table, just 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 taking it in, and then mm. yeah, I'm getting the, the train home. I was at my, staying at my parents' place in Sydney the, the next morning, so I must have been up all night. And just yeah, just reading the the, the paper the next day, all that morning, um, heading back home. It was just yeah, it was a, it was a beautiful feeling. Um, have you have you? I'm sure. Have you actually kept a lot of like the the newspaper articles and things like that and got them framed? From, I've got a bit from... of a scrapbook of 05. Yeah, yeah the sort of yeah, just can't keep in everything. No, that's all right. But um, yeah, some good mementos from from from. Well, that was probably the last World Cup qualifying campaign. We've got um physical mementos, and now it's been stored on the um the database. Digital, yeah. Yeah, Matt. Yeah, you were going to make a point before, yeah. I was just going to say, look, I, I do want to tell quite a few stories about the morning I had for the Peru playoff. But one thing, one thing that actually happened because in Perth, right, you've got all the FIFO and the minor, miners and stuff like that. And a lot of them are actually South American um, because a lot of the WA companies have operations based over there. So there was a lot of Peruvians in Perth for, for the game. Right. Um, and when the national anthem came on, I immediately thought, here we go, Uruguay playoff, we're all going to boo. It's all going to be really hostile. Um, it, it actually was really beautiful. You know, the Peruvian fans were recording us chanting at them. You know, we were all shaking hands, giving fist bumps, telling stories about, you know, our, our homeland and things like that. 
and and right. I just thought, fucking hell, I don't, I don't want these guys to lose. Yeah. <laughs> and it just, you know, it just makes me think, think back to what it actually would have been like at the time, just thinking, oh, you know, Rakoba's a dickhead and, you know, the Uruguayan team can, you know, can, can. <laughs> um, I mean, that uh, was, that was, you know, you had, you had four years earlier of it. And stuff, like, that was a whole yeah, narrative. True. That, it was, that, yeah. it was, it they gave us a reason to hate them. Yeah. But it wasn't yeah, the whole I mean, stadium booing. It was like you know, it was it was a sort of a bit of under a bit of an undercurrent of a boo against the Uruguayans. Mm. But um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't as the whole stadium. But yeah, yeah. All right, yeah. Um, Matt. Unless or you you look like you're dying to say something. Well, do we do we want to touch on on sort of the more modern Socceroos or is that? <laughs> well, I guess, I guess the modern Socceroos is you know a consistent World Cup. Featuring team, yes, yes, know, but, but uh, one thing Asian I, Cup I winners do want to and, point yeah. out, yes, but 2010, you know, 2010, we made it through so easily that we didn't actually have like a spark and a big moment where we qualified, right? Yeah, mm. 2013, 2013, we needed the three points to actually confirm second. Kennedy got the header. It essentially was. I was like there. A I was there right? actually for that game. Yeah. yeah. All right. And, and it, cool. Yeah, and and it and it you sort of look at it. Someone made this point. Um, I forget who it was. I think it was one of the ESPN Australia guys, like Joey Lynch, that kind of show. The National Curriculum. It was someone on the National Curriculum. And um, basically, they made the point that since 2010, when we comfortably qualified, each of the qualifications that we've made, they've all sort of declined in quality. Like 2013, we just made it through second. Yeah. 2017, we made it through the playoff and got saved by you know, Mila Yedinak's brilliant. Um, Mila Yedinak with the worst hat-trick I've ever seen. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> but it was still a hat-trick and it was still a great performance, right? For that, for that, for then, you know, for us to, to qualify for Qatar in the fashion that we did by literally the barest of bare margins, um, you know, it just, it really makes you think we really, we really have declined yeah, We really ought to sense, get our shit sorted you know? for, yes, for 2026. Yes, yeah. essentially, yes. But the World Cup's expanding and eight teams are going to make it out of Asia and we won't have that experience again. So well, it kind yeah. of makes the fact that we did win in the fashion that we did it really sweet in that way because we're not going to experience it again at that level. Brody? Well, just on that point, you're saying each of those World Cup campaigns, we've kind of been declining in quality in the way we've yeah. um, qualified. If we go any further, we are in danger of dropping out of that top eight in Asia. I can't remember where I saw this point made, but... In reality, we were the fifth best Asian side in this qualifying campaign. That's without Qatar, who are the reigning Asian Cup champions. All mm-hmm. it is one or two of those, um, especially the oh. nations such as UAE, to really yeah. you know frisky, investing in frisky qualifying campaign from Jordan. Yeah, <laughs> and Southeast Asia is booming. Um, and mm. I mean, obviously, China's a bit of a, a joke at the moment, but, you know, they've got the, the population to potentially, you know, a decade or two to, to, to be stronger again. Indonesia, um, Vietnam, um, all these two countries that come to mind, you know, in four or five years, they're going to be a lot better. Yeah. Andrew, you you wouldn't know this. I wouldn't expect you to know this, but I actually... Oh, have, you're not going to... Yeah, oh, no, come we, on, I have to. I have here to. He wrote, here he comes with his Southeast article. Asian takes. Yeah. Here we go. Look, just very, very briefly, Andrew, I, I actually wrote an article for Front Page Football advocating for us to, in some capacity, join the Suzuki Cup in Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand that a lot of people would be against it for obvious reasons. But if, you, if we want to talk more and more about how much Asia is, Asia is, is sort of improving, let's sort of 
you know, give the olive branch and, and let's help provide a platform to understand where that quality is coming from and to what capacity. That's all I have to say on the, Why not? On the issue. Why you know? not? Yeah. Why not? And if you look at like, you know, we often play against the, the, the South American, Southeast Asian countries in the, the underage tournaments. And if you look at our record against, uh, against Vietnam, against Thailand, it, it's, it's the, the gaps narrowing at those, the, you know, those, those age restricted teams. And it's only going to be a matter of time. It's a lot of investment happening in, in a Southeast Asian football. Yes. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah, we can't, we, we can't be complacent. Um, yeah. So why not? join more tournaments over there we've got this asean asean australian yeah the, the AFF, that's, that's what the andrew that's what the suzuki cup is it's there yeah. it's there it's their their national yeah. tournament and we obviously we competed in the east asia cup in 2013 the issue was we got moved from the east asian sub confederation to to asean um but the, the issue is that you know when when you're talking about thailand and indonesia being the strongest teams very hard for us to sort of justify going to that kind of tournament but at the same time when you think of who's who who, who those countries are that are on our on our heels you know i mean it is it is the thailands the, the vietnams so on and so forth so you know i just you can see the argument is at least there right so yeah, yeah. developmental squads or yeah, yeah. the Oli ruse i mean to, to an extent basically like an a-league 11 or an Oli ruse 11 it can happen if we, if we yeah. want to put in the investment yeah 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 but I think quality aside, it's still, in a way, a tournament experience for us that could be useful going forward. At the end of the day, even Graham Arnold said as, um, that Jordan game was the first time we played a game outside of World Cup qualifiers. I know he used the word friendlies, but just for argument's sake, outside of World Cup qualifiers since Tim K was testimony. Wow. So yeah. more games we play outside of those World Cup qualifiers, no matter who it's against, especially if you're taken away from that friendly kind of game to a still form of tournament structure. And I'll tell you what else, I'll tell you what else it does. You, you talk about going to play away in Iran, you talk about going to play away in Uruguay or Peru or wherever it might be. Those crowds in Thailand, in Vietnam, they get, you know, 60, 50,000 to these games. They pack it out. It's their religion, you know, far bigger than it means to the average Aussie. That's a hostile environment to play away against, right? You know, and, and then that, that kind of thing can be a stepping stone for, for someone who's 21, 22 and just getting, in, getting out of their age group football to play in that kind of environment, even if we are a far stronger team. You know, that, that, that's, a, that's an important thing to sort of learn how to deal with as well. So there's, there's you know, multiple pros to it. I understand there's a lot of cons to it as well. <laughs> But I, th I think that conversation has to be has to be had on a broader scale, and I think it's kind of disgusting that it's not being had. I think the best argument to back up your point there, when we went to play Vietnam in the recent World Cup qualifiers when we played away, um, we were lucky enough that we played behind closed doors in an empty empty stadium, yeah, empty stadium, yeah. and yeah, just we'll the general, yeah. general conditions, the weather, just something different for us to experience. We still struggled. We only beat them. One just, nil, yep. Yeah, right. One nil. Ryan Grant. I'm pretty sure it was just before half time. If I'm yeah, correct. yeah. We were very poor in that game. Yep. We were very poor in that game, and it probably came down to it was an unfamiliar um, territory for us. If you send yeah. some young guys there, add the fact that you will have a hostile crowd as well, it just makes that makes the game all the more harder as well. So I do Absolutely. think more of the, yeah. more, more of those types of games is going to be perfect for us, and I don't see why. We wouldn't want to experience that one. We wouldn't want to take that on. 
Yeah. yeah. Now, women's teams um, have a stronger connection with those those um, those those nations here. We're more a p part of those ASEAN competitions with our, our women's teams. Well, they uh, have the yeah, AFF competition coming up, don't they? Yeah. Yep. 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 And yep. it's not very twenty-three yep. slide that we're taking. Yep. A lot of young players in that squad. Yep. Yep. We've played in that tournament several times before. Yep. All right. Um, do we want to do want to finish? Maybe take a break and then maybe finish with a little bit of brief history on the name behind the Socceroos. Oh, I forgot. I forgot about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Matt, Matt decided to yeah. just go through every single oh, campaign look, of the last thirty years. Tell me that didn't make years. for better content. Tell me it didn't make for better content. Well, was it on the agenda? That's the real question. Anyway, regardless, um, <laughs> we'll we'll take a quick break and then uh, yeah, just doing some research, some bizarre stuff into the uh, into the background behind the Socceroos name. So we'll be back. Great. Okay, so just finished with a brief discussion around the soccer's name because I'm just doing some research today, and I, the the thing which is bizarre to me is there seems to be some uncertainty around when the name was first coined, when who coined it first, all of this. The, the common denominator is this Sydney journal Tony Horstead. Now he seems to come up a lot in these conversations. Now, some first claimed that it was in an article from Mike Cockerell, the late Mike Cockerell, in 1998 when he was calling them the Socceroos, but then that seems awfully late. So then there were some people saying that it was actually Horstead in 1967 when he traveled with the team. But then again, there's this whole back and forth that, well, no, he didn't actually travel with the team to Vietnam in 67 or whatever. So, you know, he couldn't really possibly coin this term, but then uh, Johnny Warren came out and he said, well, he did in 1971. And then, there's all of this just back and forth around when the name was coined, the history of the name, all of this. Um, and then eventually when it did, it did become locked in as, as the soccer's name and, and it was used very regularly in, in all sorts of publications. And I don't really understand the 1998 thing because it was pretty well known, I think by 73 that, that Australia were known as the Socceroos and yeah, affectionately known as the Socceroos. And you, have a look and the Sydney Morning Herald did an article around this time in 1973 where they did actually a front page article basically criticizing the, the use of the name and why aren't they called the emus instead of the Socceroos is the, yeah, is the common one. And that's because actually just going back to Horstead because he actually did a, a bit of a kind of sent out a feeler around that time period as well in the seventies where he asked his readers to, to send in suggestions for the name. And Emus was the one that actually that actually won out and was the was the most suggested name. So he was kind of like, okay, well, I guess we're gonna we're gonna call him the Emus. And then for whatever reason, um, I think he must have just reverted and and gone back to the Socceroos, and it's it's remained the Socceroos since. The Emus, imagine yeah. that. Yeah, I'm maybe looking at the, the same article now. Good little write-up on the Football Australia website. Yeah, where yeah, the, that was the one. The yeah, competition. The Emus. The other names up there were the um, uh, the, the Wallabies, the Jackaroos. Yeah, then we have the Jackaroos because it is for men who do a man's job. <laughs> the Wattles was the most was the second most popular name. Then there were the Wombats, Wallaroos, Bandicoots, Boomerangs, Marinos, Koalas, and one. Top personality who shall be nameless, as this article says, who suggested the sharks. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. 
Okay, so God. so my yeah. the only two cents that I can add on this is that when when we went to the opening ceremony in '74, they had a little sort of puppet um, koala, and uh, the commentator famously said, "Here come the Australians, supported by kangaroo and koala bear." So, if anything, that's uh, that's the direction we were heading in at the time. But if you ask me, the the name. The name just sort of rolls off the tongue and it, it's, it sounds like yeah. the most Aussie thing that, you know, you could describe, right? Because, so, you, you know, it's the national team, they play soccer and, you know, we're, we're kangaroos. It's the soccer-roos. It takes two seconds to think of. And as far as I've known, it's, it's a name that sort of, they, I mean, they all sat around and said, okay, we're the Australian national team. What's our name going to be? And, and they created it on the spot. So I didn't actually know, I didn't actually know about this whole blue with with certain parties sort of I know, um, yeah. wanting to create the name. So we, could have, we could have been called the emus. That's that's the main takeaway. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a bloody dreadful name. And it just oh. makes me think of emu export, which I don't even know. Do you guys have a lot of emu export outside of WA? Yeah. You can, yeah? You can keep it over there. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm trying>. <laughs> <laughs> it just feels so unnatural. That's the biggest thing that I can yeah. say. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess with the name of Socceroos, whenever obviously football is the most popular sport around the world, that's not something you can be it can be argued with. And every time a nation comes to play against us, the first thing they do is talk about they compare us to kangaroos or they associate us straight away with kangaroos. So I feel like the South Americans lap that, that shit up, Cody. The South Americans lap that shit up. They've been doing it for decades. <laughs> exactly. No, but that's what I mean. Like I think it just it's only natural that our name should kind of be synonymous with the kangaroo rather than the emu. I just, it, I don't know, to me, it doesn't make sense. Then the American commentators, because I think they pronounce it emus. Imagine that. Here come the mighty emus yeah. <laughs> against the, from Australia. Mm. Yeah, and yeah. then I think, obviously, the other thing which helped uh, cement the name was, was the 74 team. So once yeah. they did what they did and, and then... It, it just it from was there was well, wasn't it? Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably a good point as, as, yeah. as to why it's stuck, perhaps because of the success of that that seventy four team. Yeah, good point. And, and I'll finish with one last bit because because we had to. So Matt Matt is he, he's got he's got this thing with Ray Bart. He just he just he's got a he's got to talk oh, okay. about Ray. He's got to talk about Ray Bart. So I, I, I can say this. I can say this. Ray Bart was one man who had a lot of skeptic skepticism about about the Socceroos name. That's that's what I did find. Right. <laughs> oh really. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Look, I just think in terms of when you when you talk about the personalities that created sort of the Socceroos as a team to really be passionate about and really brought us forward. Ray Bartz, you know, I, I think because he wasn't sort of the center of attention, he wasn't Peter Wilson, he, he wasn't a leader and a captain, he wasn't Johnny Warren, he wasn't someone who was a massive advocate for the game. He was just a really, really good footballer who did Australia proud. <laughs> And I think for the, for the era that he played in, you could argue he was he was quite you know he was he was before his time in that sense, right? He had he had signed for Man United, I think, um, didn't didn't play for them at all, but he had signed for Man United, and he was someone that you know if it wasn't for what happened in in Sydney in nineteen seventy three, could have actually been someone that that did a. <laughs> I'm not sure why this is coming to me, but but he could have had a Shane Smeltz moment against West Germany. You know what I mean? He could have he could have scored a goal and everyone would have been going, well, who's this guy? And yeah. uh, and that would have been us on, on on football's map right there. So I just I think that Ray Bartz is someone that really embodies that the growth of football in this country and will do so forevermore. 
Yeah, for that, for those that don't know, I'm going to read from the uh, Encyclopedia of Socceroos, the authoritative. <clears throat> um, yeah, a warm-up game for the, the 74 World Cup against Uruguay, refereed by Don Campbell, Adelaide um, referee. Um, he was a blow behind play by Uruguay's Luis Garisto, ruptured an artery in Barts's neck. The artery hemorrhaged, causing interference with his brain and leaving Barts partly paralysed. So, yeah, he almost died. Amazing, amazing. Mm. But, yeah, he went on to do some um, some good things up in uh, Newcastle, northern New South Wales with the uh, Newcastle KB United um, NSL team that um, was a revolutionary side in the, in the late 70s, basically. And, um, yeah, inducted into the, the, the first Football Australia Hall of Fame in 1999, Ray Barts. Mm. Anything to add on, on uh, your mate Ray, Matt? Look, if, if, he, if he doesn't have that incident in 73, I maintain that he could have become someone that, that just revolutionised the game. If he, if he got, a, got a better chance in England, if, you know, if he did score at that World Cup, I mean, I know, I'm, I know I'm sort of playing with history here and getting quite sort of, you know, into the land of make-believe. But, I mean, the, the guy just for me, he, he stands out as the sort of Tim Cahill of, of the 70s. And I, I maintain that he, he could have been someone that really, really dragged the game forward in a meaningful sense. And um, it's just, you know, it's just such a, such a disgrace, really, that he was, he was essentially physically assaulted during, during a football match. And I mean, we were denied one of the best Socceroos to have ever played. Hmm. Interesting. All right. Um, that's, that's all I had. I just thought I'd just finish with that, that stuff around the name. And, uh, yeah, so I guess we'll just, just throw it to everyone. Has anyone got anything they want to add around, around, uh, the Socceroos centenary and, and anything that we, that we missed that, uh, that you did research, uh, heading into the podcast? I think it's, yeah. oh, sorry. No, no, no. I, I talk too much. Go Cody. Your time. <laughs> but just on that right busting, like you said, you kind of going into the land of make-believe going, oh, if he didn't get injured maybe this could have happened it's amazing how many moments and i'm sure it's not something exclusively to australia but how many moments like that we've had throughout our history we're talking each of those world cup qualifying campaigns and how close we were in some of them especially between 89 to 001 how we're almost just one or a few couple steps off making world cups it's amazing how like even through our history like we always talk about that 32 year gap but in that time, we were always kind of knocking on the door of the World Cup. We were very, yeah. very close, and it, we were left with many of those brief moments, like the um, Iran game. The guy doesn't run on the field and damage the goal. The uh, Nets. What happens in that game? Uruguay. Win. We win. We win, Cody. Yeah. <laughs> but um, and even there was a recent podcast. I can't remember if it was the last one or the one before. Christian, you spoke about even when we did make the World Cup for the ones coming up we don't have any regrets. And you went back to the 2014 one where what happens if we um, see out that game against the Netherlands, little things like that. I just think mm-hmm. there's so many what-if moments for Australia as well as what we've done. It feels like there's still been so much more to come from this country and there probably still can be so much more to come. And with yeah. a glorious 100-year history, I'm looking forward to seeing what the next 100 years is going to bring, actually. <laughs> I, I listen I, I know this is probably going to piss people off but I actually wanted to, to have a final note about Graham Arnold 
<laughs> Graham Arnold is, Anto- is someone. Antonis, that... Antonis' stomach is turning as he hears this. <laughs> Graham, Graham Arnold, not as the manager, but as as the man, as the the person who had a high enough authority within the game to strive and and really build Australian football up as someone behind the scenes. You know, you look back on you mentioned that that November sixteen documentary that fox made i've i've literally watched it over a hundred times and that's not an exaggeration you know graham arnold's graham arnold's role in that film when you listen to the way he describes what it was like to to work for the socceroos and and what it really meant to him you know his his life and, and everything that he's dedicated towards the game look he may have really done quite a crap job in this in this campaign but he is someone that represents the Socceroos prouder than anyone. And he's, he's I'll say someone this, that... Sorry, Matt, I'll say this about Arnie because we were just talking about before with the migration and things like that. And Arnold was someone who was the inverse, being mm. an actual Aussie mm. who actually almost naturalised to become a Croatian type Aussie by <laughs> by you know growing up in Sydney, Croatia. So it's he actually... He was a shy of, boy like me. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's kind of fitting that he is the guy, though, who, who eventually, you know, leads leads the team back to the World Cup again. Yeah. Um, in, you know, in the same week as the centenary year that he's been, you know, and he's been involved in 05. You know, he was he was involved um, in just yeah, in just the, the NSL and and bringing the fabric of the game game to life. And in a results based sense. He got revenge. Again, maybe I'm maybe I'm overstating this, but you look at the worst, the most demoralizing losses of the years prior to the campaign. So Peru knocked us out of the World Cup. The opening game of the Asian Cup was lost to Jordan, and then the UAE knocked us out. Who were the three teams that Graham Arnold beat to get to the World Cup? It was Jordan, it was the UAE, and it was Peru. He literally, quite literally, got revenge on the three sides that haunted him, approaching his appointment after the appointment was made for his first major tournament, and the one side that that you know knocked him out of of setting up his legacy as a manager that also won an Asian Cup. I mean, for me, it's just so poetic, and it just he he maybe was not the best manager we ever had, but his legacy on the game, his personality, his love for what this team represents. I could not be prouder of him. And for him to dedicate the win to his to his brother who, who looked after him after his parents died. I mean, you know, again, and I'm, I'm touching on things that really don't matter um, in a football sense, but, you know, I'm, I'm someone who my, my parents really weren't around for most of my life. And that sentiment really resonated me in, in an emotional way. And this is someone who, you know, no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, this game means everything to us. And Graham Arnold embodies that more than anyone else could. And I just couldn't be so proud of him as an individual and of his contribution to, to the team and its history. But, you know, he, yeah, he talked about that. his... Yeah, and he, he talked about his brother um, being there for him and stuff like that. But again, what I say, he's almost... Sydney, Croatia was... was he, he bridged was the, the gap. I know that, what you mean. Yeah, you know, he bridged the, the gap that, between... It was almost ethics. the community that actually kind of helped exactly. him get over that. That that's the, And that's the, beauty of, that's the beauty of what we have here. He bridged the gap from, from soccer as a game for, for ethnics to soccer as a game for Australians. He represented that as well. Mm. Um, 
So yeah, look, I just, I, I actually do have a lot of love and respect now that he has actually qualified us for the World Cup. And even if we, if we go out of that group with zero points and everyone hates him, he'll still have his place in the history books as someone that, that made the World Cup. And that no one is taking that away from him. I think the best thing about that group, at least, not many people are expecting us to get out of it anyway. I think considering the journey we've had, I think people are just happy to be there at the end of the day. And I am glad he has qualified as well, because if he hadn't, him failing to get us to the World Cup probably would overshadow a lot of those things that he's done in his throughout his life and for the dedication that he's put to the game in Australia. Mm-hmm. So to for him to have that moment, that's massive for him. And like you said, there's not many better people that it could happen to. He's a fantastic person, fantastic representation of what the game means to the people in Australia. And well, yeah, that's basically what I'd say on that. <laughs> All right. Uh... Andrew, do you have anything you want to add but, uh, look, before just, we take off? Yeah. I don't want to sound like a cop-out, but I, I, that's a great point to, to end on. That was a, a, a yeah, lovely words you, you said there, especially Matt, about, yeah, a, a, a true, um, yeah, someone we should um, be honoured to have as, as our national coach. And, um, yeah, he's um, yeah, a good guy. I, I, um, as a, a, a podcast, I shouldn't be promoting other podcasts, but um, Football from A to Z with Zappers and um, Archie Thompson, one of the early episodes last year was um with Graham Arnold a really good chat with Arnie if you um, want to get a bit more of an insight into to Arnie mm. um to, to have a listen to that but yeah no thanks for for having me on guys and um <clears throat> it's um yeah good appreciation there of, of our of our history it's um of the men's team um yeah as next year is a, a big year for for the women's teams or women's team so yeah it'd be um good to to focus on 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 women's history at another point in time um uh yeah the history can we can be proud of for, for many reasons i mean you know in the end it's a few well soccer is obviously a few men on the field kicking a ball around and they've been doing that for 100 years but the story behind those those players um their, their, their families their their fans their clubs um are um oh there's there's so many there and there's so many good stories there so um yeah, look, it's it's getting easier and easier to 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 re- do your own research on history with what's coming online in terms of historical newspapers. More and more books. We're, we're going to have yeah this big surge of books um, coming out this year. The good old fashioned hard copy books that um, have good stories in themselves, but can also lead to um, you know you, you might find your got a particular aspect about you know whatever I don't know 1930s east you know east Dutch East Indies tours or, or um, <laughs> South African teams or something that might be up your alley and and why not um you know look to, to, to do a book or something yourself um if you if you're um if you like the history because um yeah it's a great history of the of the game and um yeah I'll get a, a sense that there's an appreciation with um with you guys so yeah it's been been good to to get on board uh, for this show thanks all right no worries absolute pleasure yeah uh andrew to have you on the show and uh get your insight into into all this it has to be said that uh, i think australia would have a tr- you know would have some difficulty remembering its football history if it uh, if it wasn't if it wasn't for you um and uh, and all the research that you do with this stuff so uh yeah you can um andrew and uh, I'll, I'll plug this for you i guess uh, you can catch the the soccer centenary book It'll be coming out November this year. Just to check that. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So yep. Um, just yeah. To, just to 
300, just just 300,000 words. I'm up to like, I've got to fire it off to the printers in a couple of weeks. And I'm, oh God, just uh, every night I'm just, yeah, yeah. You know, no, look, it, yeah, just Google search it. You'll find it. Fair Play Publishing. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. Enjoy it when it comes out. Absolutely. Do you, yeah. is it is it that much work for you that you question why you're doing it in the first oh, place all the time all the time yeah, oh, yeah. i enjoy it and it's all you know i've got a very busy um day, nine to five job at the moment and um yeah, yeah some family things happening it's like whoa yeah. anyway I'll, I'll um i can sleep next year <laughs> Christian, Christian, forget Ray Bartz. We're talking to the actual pioneer of the game, the man who's, are, who's got it all. I just sit in a room and <laughs> play on my computer with stats and, and words. It's no, no, no. Yeah. All right. So that's going to do it um, for this podcast. Thanks to thanks to Matt, thanks to Cody, and and once again, thanks to Andrew uh, for joining us as well. And uh, yeah, we'll be back on this feed hopefully next week, early next week. And uh, I don't know we might, uh, Cody, Matt, I don't know if you'll join me on that one, but we might talk a little bit of Mills Ninkovic to, to the Western City Wanderers because that, uh, yeah. that story is definitely, uh, definitely heating up. So uh, I do want to maybe touch on that. But uh, yeah, that's it from, uh, that's it from me, uh, your host, um, Christian Marchetti. And uh, yeah, we'll see you on the next one soon.